that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much for this day, Lord. I thank you for the mothers that we have here, Lord, for our mothers, for the, the ways that your love, your, your parenthood has been demonstrated to us, God. And I just ask, Lord, that in the struggle against sin, that we would come to understand the truth that we have not received the spirit of bondage against fear, the spirit of adoption. As we look at the examples of our own parents, we look at the examples, Lord, of love and self-sacrifice, Lord, that we have in our lives, that we would see that you surpass them all. I ask God for you to give us practical holiness, victory over sin in our lives every day, that we can stand out as people that would glorify your name. I ask these things in Jesus' name. You know, it is an incredible thing to read some of the ancient Christian documents. When you read letters that Christians wrote in the first century, one of the proofs that they had, that they gave, for the truth of Christianity was the way that Christians lived so differently from the Romans. I want to ask you today, if we had to grow our church on the basis of how holy your life was compared to the life of your neighbor, how well do you think that we would do it? Don't answer. Why is it that Christians as a whole are so indistinguishable from everyone around them? I think it's because of bad theology. I think on one hand, you have uh, the Christians that say, well, you know what you need to do is you need to work your way to heaven. I use the word Christian loosely there. Right? That's not someone who's different from the boundaries of Orthodox Christianity. It's not the Bible teaches. But let's say there's somebody who says, I believe in Jesus, but I believe I need to work hard. And that if I have faith, then God's going to kind of put his thumb on the end of it. If that's enough, you know, then all my scales will balance out. You got somebody like that, and why do those people not live any different than anybody else? You think that if you wanted good works, that you'd go to the Pelagians, right? You'd go to the people who say you've just got to be good enough for God. But that's not what we see, do we? People that believe that don't seem to really live like their life depends on it, their spiritual life depends on it. Because they walk around in a spirit of bondage. How do you do something? How do you do something that you have to do? Somebody comes up to you and they threaten you and your boss says, if you don't go do this right now, you don't go mop this floor right now, you are not going to have a job tomorrow. You better just go home and not come back. Is that your best work on that day? But how do you do when you do something out of gratitude, do something that you want to do? changes your everything, doesn't it? And instead of saying, how little can I do to get by, you start to say, how much can I do? So if somebody has a false teaching of salvation by works, they are not going to live very holy life. But on the flip side, there are people who teach the truth of salvation by grace through faith, and then never get past that. Some churches that believe the truth, their sermons every week are an evangelistic crusade. And you've got people that are already saved and you're trying to get them saved again. And they never have any growth. They never have any maturity. They never get past, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They never know very much about the Bible at all. You've got people who have been Christians for decades that have got two scriptures memorized and that's it. 
And so, if you live in a completely lackadaisical attitude, and you say, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. I've got my fire insurance. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I don't care about between here and there. So you're not going to have a holy life either. And in fact, if that's your attitude, then I would double check, if I were you, on whether or not you ever really placed your faith in Christ in the first place. But what's the Bible's teaching? The Bible's teaching is you have been rescued from your sin, you've been rescued from your guilt, you've been rescued from your debt by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. And now, if you really understand that sacrifice, you can have no response but an outpouring of love and desire to be like him. Any theology that puts you in bondage to fear will give you no power over sin. And we, we talk about this a lot. But if I go around all day thinking, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to lose my temper. I'm not going to think about what she said or the look on her face when she did it. I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not even going to think about how bad. I just want to walk up there and tell her. Well, let me ask you a question. It's a very hard question. When you're thinking about that, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about exactly the thing that you said you weren't going to think about. The problem is, when you try to wrestle the devil head on, he's been doing this a whole lot longer than you, and is a whole lot better at it than you are. The Bible says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But it does not mean to get down in the mud. We're going to see that. But so maybe you genuinely know Christ. You genuinely have been forgiven. You understand Jesus died in your place, and you can have forgiveness, and you can have life. And you say, I just want to know how to do it. I just want to know how to respond. I feel like I'm stuck. And the pattern that we're going to get today is two simple options. You can die now, or you can die later. So that doesn't sound very appealing, does it? Let's look and see. Let's look here. Romans 8, 12. Therefore, brethren, because... What's that therefore, therefore? Right? Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you stop and go back. What's the therefore, therefore? It's there because we know that our spirits are alive, even though our bodies are dying. That if we trust in Christ that God raised from the dead, the God who raised him from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies. As 2 Corinthians puts it, though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. Therefore, because God has started an invasion, God never loses, okay? God started an invasion in your life. He created an outpost of the new kingdom in your heart, and your body will not conquer it. Your sin nature will not conquer it. The world will not conquer it. The Adamic realm will not conquer it. Instead, this spot that God has established, he will use to conquer the rest of you. Because of that, we are debtors. You owe somebody something. Not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. What do you owe to your, your lusts? What do you owe to your desires? Your sinful lusts. Your sinful desires. And well, you know, I just, I really, I've got this craving, I just can't help myself. What has that ever gotten you? Can you imagine 
you've got some sin in your life and you give into it over and over again, if you could just ask yourself for a second, how did this work out for me last That you have never been better off because you said it never works. You say, well, I've just got to, you know, I'm just in this situation. Well, I don't really have any choice. I don't believe you. You don't believe you either, do you? What would you do if you trusted God? We talk constantly about the excuses that people make for their sin. If somebody, you've got a terrible temper. So we know it's my dad had this temper and I, I just can't help myself. Just who I am. Shout and stomp and yell or whatever. My question is, do you believe God? Do you believe God when he says there's no temptation that will take you? Do you believe God when he says, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed? Do you believe God when he says that if any man is in Christ, is in God, he loves because God is love? Do you believe God when he says that? Do you believe that your love can conquer your temper? Do you believe that love is patient, love is kind, love uh, endures all, helps all things, believes all things, endures all things? Do you believe that? Then when you tell me, you know, I'm just not a very patient person, I just can't help it, I'm just not very patient, I just got to do what I got to do. Do you believe God? When you feel like you've got to steal, maybe you don't go rob a bank. Hope you don't go wrong with that. But there's other ways to steal, aren't there? You get really work early and you ask your friend, hey, can you punch the time clock for me half an hour? You just stroll that half hour from your point. Load your pockets down with stuff. You, you know, you go to the gas station and you buy something, you get back in your car and you find out they gave you a $20 bill instead of a $10 bill. You don't go back inside, you just stole $10. I don't care if you wore a mask or not, you stole $10 from that gas station. You lie on your taxes. You put on about 58 dependents. Okay? You stole. You say, well, I didn't have any choice. You know, I just had to do it. One that I hear constantly, you know, is, well, I've got to live with my girlfriend because I don't have enough money to make it otherwise. Which is, do you believe in God? Do you believe God when he says, I'll supply all of your needs according to my rich reward? Or not. So we know I just got this this lust, you know. Everybody knows it, right? Sixty percent of Christian men or something like that look at pornography. Do you believe God? I say Christian men again, self-identified here. Do you believe God when he says to lust is to commit adultery? And that intimacy, marital intimacy is between one man, one woman married for life. Do you believe God or not? If you don't believe God, you'll make all kinds of excuses for sin. You say, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. But what has believing your desires ever done good for you? When has that ever worked out? I've had half the problems in your life right now. You can trace to a bad decision that you've made. And I'll bet that one of your friends could trace the other half for you. We're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. It never works. Why do you give all your loyalty to somebody that has never done anything good for you? you say, who's that somebody? That's somebody you just saw. 
All that you've ever rewarded yourself with has been sickness and pain and death. All you've ever given yourself is sin and more sin. Sin is like a fire. It's never satisfied. The grave is never full. We are not brothers. Here's the scripture. Brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh. To live after the flesh. You don't owe the flesh anything. You don't owe your desires anything. You don't say to yourself, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of compromise with this. Can you imagine if the penalty of sin was immediate? Say, I'm just going to light myself a little bit on fire. Say, you've got some sin in your life, and you say, I'm going to kind of ease out of this. You know, I know that God wants me to do this, and I want to do this, but I'm just going to kind of work my way, wean myself off of it. It's like somebody thinking about committing suicide and deciding to use a 22 instead of a 45. It doesn't make a difference. Sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. It's never done anything good for you. We are debtors. We are debtors. We do owe something to somebody, but not to the flesh to live after the flesh. You don't owe it to your sin nature. You don't owe it to the world of Adam to live after those rules because Christ has set you free. Verse 13. For if you live after the flesh... You shall die. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? If you go the way that your flesh is going, if you live set on this world, you will suffer the same fate of this world. First John says this world is passing away, this present world is passing away, and also the lusts thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abide forever. You know what's going to happen to your body? I hate to, to be morbid here. But they're going to take your body, they're going to put some makeup on it, they're going to put some clothes, they're going to cut them in the back. Wrap them around you. They're going to lay you down in the front of a funeral home, home, the shroud, or wherever you end up. And they're going to put some pretty colored lights above you to try to make your skin look natural. And then they're going to bury you. And on this side of eternity, nobody's ever going to see you again. And your body's going to be warm too. Well, that's terrible. I would even say that. It's just How much of your time your money, your energy, your devotion, are you spending on worm food? When you give in to your fleshly desires, when you give in to the cravings of the moment, when you give in to these different things, you pour everything you have into something that you cannot keep. You walk out of the flesh, you'll die. If you're on the flesh track, the only thing there is death. Here's an incredible thing, too. We talk about people, they say, well, you know, it does work out for something. Kind of pat yourself on the head. And I'm sure you've seen the statistics upward of 90% of the people who win the lottery are broke. Almost immediately after. You know why that is? Because their problem was not that they didn't have enough money, their problem was the way they used their money. That's why they were broke in the first place, and that didn't change when they won $10 million. You know that the um, divorce rate for people who live together prior to marriage, prior to marriage is four times higher than people who don't? You say, what in the world? Why? Because you're not practicing being married. You're practicing a lack of commitment. And you get really good at it. Now, most nonprofits get stolen from. You know what happens? Somebody takes $20 and they pay it back. But nobody noticed. So the next time they take $50 and they pay it back. 
And nobody notices. The next time they take $100 and then pay it back. Until finally, something happens and they've taken more money than they can pay back. And now they have got a problem. And that's not true at all. It's not now they've got a problem. It's now their problems explode. One of my favorite quotes, uh, Warren Buffett talking about people who invest, you know, foolishly. Uh, but, you know, people who borrow money to invest money and things like that. He says that when the tide goes out, that's when you can tell who's been skinning it. <laughs> Sin may seem to work for a little bit. You may think that you're going to be able to cast off for a little bit, but when a problem comes, what happens? There's nowhere to hide anymore. <coughs> you don't owe your flesh anything, and as long as you follow after your flesh, it's not going to work out. You say, well, I'm different than those other people. You know, I am just going to take the $20 and put it back, or it's going to work out for me, or whatever. You say, oh... You know, yeah, 98% of people who use crystal meth twice get addicted, but I'm different. You know, I've got a lot of willpower. I've had these conversations with people. You're not that different. Sin never brings victory to anyone. If you walk after the flesh, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. That means as a Christian... If you follow the direction of the flesh, all the fat goes to is death. That just gets burned up. But it means that if that's your lifestyle, you've proven that you're not a Christian at all. If you live after the flesh, if you are a flesh person, you are on the road to death. But, look at this. Die now, die later. But if ye, through the Spirit, be mortified the deeds of the flesh, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. You're going to die. I know that's coming as shocking news to some of you, but uh, the, the death rate for human beings is approximately 100%. If they haven't had a cure for it, they're not going to. Okay? Spiritually, though, your choice is this. Are you going to die now or later? Are you going to die at the last day when you stand before God and he says, depart from me, you work of iniquity, I never knew you. Or are you going to die now and say, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross and I put my life with yours. And I let my old self die just like your body died on the cross so that I can have life with you. If you walk after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, through the power of God, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do I put to death the deeds of the body? I hope that I've done it across to you because sin is bad. Maybe I don't even need to say that, but sometimes I do, don't I? You think, well, it's going to work, and I'm just going to love it. How do you do it? Look at this. Look at what you're live after the flesh, you shall die. You through the body, you mortify the deeds of the spirit, you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Okay, you don't do it through your body. You don't take your lusts and fight your lusts against each other. Through the spirit. You say, okay, so I've moved from being a slave of sin to now a slave of God. I was afraid of sin, but now I'm more afraid of God. That's not what it says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Here's what he's saying. If you're led by the Spirit of God, it's not because you've moved from one kind of fear to another. It's because you've moved from fear and slavery to sonship. You don't try to please God because you're afraid that God's standing behind you with a big stick. Because what shall separate from the love of Christ? Tribulation, persecution, and nakedness, or peril, or 
and from Harold the Door. Hey, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You don't worry about God behind you, crushing you, if you're a Christian. You say, I stand secure in God who set me on the solid rock. But I am his child, and I want to please him. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Here's my question then. If you are God's child, are you led by him? I know I mentioned this in the nursing home. I can't remember if I mentioned it here. Um, when my grandpa died, you know, my grandma was having a hard time listening to a voicemail with his voice on. And so she had my dad record a voicemail. That lasted about two days before she called me and had me record a voicemail because she couldn't listen to my dad's voice either. It sounded too much like my grandpa. Do you ever have a, a family resemblance problem? Wait, that's the same thing actually happened to me. We went to one of his funeral, one of his friends' funeral. He died in 2011. This is the funeral this year. And somebody came up to me and asked if I was Mike Gavin's grandson. Because you've got a, a family resemblance, right? If God is your father, has anybody ever come up to you and said, No, is God your father? You should look an awful lot like him. They don't say, you know, you've got a nose like this. <laughs> they say, you know, there's a family resemblance in the way that you care for people, in the way that you have self-sacrifice, in the way that you live by sin, in the way that you lay yourself down. Immaturity <laughs> is, of course, denying yourself what you want today for what you want tomorrow. And we live in a world of full-grown infants. Everybody wants what they want and they want it now. And they wonder why that doesn't work. They did a study on uh, people that go to West Point. And to get people into West Point, they do all kinds of studies on them. They do their SAT scores and their physical fitness, and only the best of the best make it in, obviously. And do you know that a huge portion of them drop out in the first summer? You start applying for West Point before you get into the 11th grade. Why would you spend two years trying to get something and then drop out the first summer? Not because they're not smart enough or because they're not strong enough. They just brawl that. It's because people don't have any self-denial. No self-discipline. They did a fascinating study with kindergartners where they gave them the choice. They said, do you want a cookie now or do you want two cookies later? I said, well, that's pretty easy. And the kindergartners who took the cookie now and the kindergartners who took two cookies later, they followed them. And the kindergartners who, when they graduated high school, the ones who had taken two cookies later had grades like 15 points higher than the other. They weren't smarter, but they knew how to tell themselves no. And how do you tell yourself no? Is it because you like telling yourself no? No, it's because you say, I want this more than that. I want to please God more than I want to please myself. I want my Heavenly Father's favor more than I want to scratch this itch that I've got right now. And you know, that's a muscle. That's something you practice. It's a habit. You say, you know, remember when I was little, wanting to quit T-ball or something. My dad told me, you know, you'd be a quitter for the rest of your life. No, 
Um, and you know, that's true, isn't it? That doesn't sound good at the time. The Bible says no desolate is plugged up at time. But afterwards, he yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. Maybe you don't want to learn to be a quitter. And some of us, in our struggle with sin, have learned to be quitters. Because every time you're tempted, you say, oh, and you give it. They have no way to imagine victory. But the way to do it is not to go and think about, I'm going to toughen myself up. The Bible doesn't say, don't walk after the flesh and you will, don't walk after the flesh and you will walk in the spirit. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Look, he says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, the ones who are led by God, the one that God is in you, they are his children. Okay, just a, a little bit farther now. He says in verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You haven't changed fears. You've changed the whole dynamic. But you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I hate to do this. I hate to crush people's well-worn platitudes and stuff. Abba does not mean daddy. There's no evidence to support that at all. That's just a... It sounded nice, so people repeated it. Abba is just the Aramaic word for father. It's the word they used in the house, but they used it from kids up to adults. Students use it to their rabbis. They're called their rabbi Abba. It doesn't mean that you can walk up to God with no respect. Okay? What it does mean is that he's not a slave master that you're afraid of. He's someone that you know has your best interests at heart. Mother's Day, so we'll, we'll shift that. You know, I hope that you were never in a home where you had to wonder when your mother did something, if she was doing it for your benefit or for hers. I hope that you grew up with the certainty that whatever she did was for you. And I want you to have that with God, too. You know, God does not say do this and don't do this because he just hates to see you happy. God says, I've got something better for you. And I want to teach you to follow me. Look, you haven't received the spirit of bondage, the spirit of slavery to fear again. You've received a different spirit, not a spirit that cries out, ah, don't hurt me. That's the only response you can have to sin, right? It happened. You say, ah, don't let the full consequence of this fall down on me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done something you knew you shouldn't do and then pray for God to protect you from the consequences that you knew you deserved? That's not the spirit that we have. It happened. But the spirit that we have is not to cry out in terror, but to cry out fall. And if you want victory over sin, if you want practical holiness, the way to do it is not to tremble or to beat yourself up. The way to do it is to say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to see you as the face of my father. And so when you hear all these things about sin, your attitude goes one way. We go very quickly, the spirit itself. We are witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You want to know if you're a Christian or not? Does the spirit of God lead you to cry out, Abba, Father? Does the spirit of God lead you to redemption? Does the spirit of God lead you? His spirit tells your spirit in the depths of your soul that you are the child of God. If you don't have the spirit of God, then I don't care who else told you you're a child of God. Their testimony doesn't. If you do have the Spirit of God, I don't care who tells you that you're not a child of God. There is no condemnation for those who are Christ. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Let's close this out. I thought I had time for five verses, and it's funny how that works. I'm going to blame the Mother's Day thing. 
something else. I'm sure there was something else. This is so important. I know you're hungry. You're, you're rumbling out there. Hold yourself. And if you think I'm not going to think about how hungry I am, I'm not going to think about how hungry I am, you need to sit back and do it again. So, if you are the child of God, if God says you're mine, then you are his heir. Everything that he has is yours. So you say, you know, I just don't have any victory over sin. I just don't have any holiness. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. You're saying God doesn't have those things. Because if God has those things and you're his child, you have those things. Isn't that right? <laughs> there was never a time when I was a kid and my dad had food and I didn't. Right? Because if he had food, I had food. Never a time that my mom had something that I did not have access to. Everything that God has, the Bible says in Ephesians 1, he's given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, if you're his child... His spirit says, you are mine. And if you're mine, you're my heir. Not just are you the heir of God, but just a different way of thinking about the same thing. You are co-heirs with Jesus. You have everything Jesus has. And do you know what Jesus did with all the possessions that you have? He was tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Do you think Jesus went around? He walked in the victory of the Holy Spirit every day. And that spirit, his spirit, is your spirit. So why do you live beaten down and crushed? Why do you live in slavery? Why do you live thinking all the wrong ways? Why do you live from one kind of fear to another instead of the fear that says, Father, I want to follow you. Father, take me out of this situation. Father, take me where I need to be. If we suffer with him, that means if now I lay my life down in his death, and I say, Lord, just as you died on the cross, I want to die to my old self. I don't want to punish my old self. I don't want to kind of tame my lusts. I want to look at myself, and I want to say, crucify him, crucify him. No holding back. The problem with most of us in most of our lives, the reason you are not the kind of Christian that you know you could be, the reason you don't have the kind of power for God you know you could have, is that you try to compromise. And I try to compromise. You try to say, well, I'm going to give all this, but not this. But what if you said, crucify him, crucify him. What if you said, no matter what it costs, God, I'm going to follow you because I want to please my Father. Sin would have no power. What would happen to you in your life right now if you did all the things that you're afraid to do what would happen in our church right now if we were marked by such holiness that whenever people met us, they said, wow, they're not just friendly, they're holy. How can you be holy and friendly? I've never seen it before. And it's because you can't be holy and friendly if your holiness is just on the outside trying to impress everybody because you're afraid of God. But if you say, you know what? I love God. He loves me. I love you. If you've never been saved, you're not a Christian. You've never turned from your sin. Trust me, you is an important thing. You don't have any of this power, do you? If you don't have the spirit of God, you are you are in fear. You ought to be afraid. You are a slave. <laughs> but God wants to set you free today. Jesus died and he rose again so that you could have everlasting life. So that you could be his child. So he could adopt you. And you could say, Ah, Father. You say, you know, it's Mother's Day. My mom's not around. My mom wasn't a very good mom. But you know, you've got a parent. 
in heaven who will never leave you. We stand together as our musicians come forward. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And if you need to make a decision for Jesus today, how are you doing? If you say, well, I've been flirting with some kind of sin, or you come and pray and say, Lord, I give it up because I want to follow you. If you've never trusted Jesus, you want to be saved, or you come. Let's make a decision.